Uh, I hope you are sensing and feeling what I'm feeling this morning, that the local church is a gift, a gift from God, um, just something that, that the, the Heavenly Father delights in giving us for His glory and for our good. That's, that's how He always works. And I have to say, as, as challenging as it can be, I love this church planning journey that we are on and that you all have joined in with us. It's, it's new. It's different. It's cutting across the grain of spiritual darkness and shining a new light, a gospel light, in a very needy and dark area. And, and we know that that's not easy. It, it does not happen naturally. This has to be the work of God, and we know that He has called us to this. But as I think back on Christian history in the, in the New Covenant age, so since Jesus, about 2,000 years have passed, how many churches have started over those 2,000 years? Just think about the crazy number, the starting, the newness. Every church starts somewhere. And so here we are in the North Sarasota community, starting something new and watching Jesus work and build something from the ground up. And when we look at Acts chapter 2, this is where we find our roots. Where did it all begin? When Jesus ascended to the throne and he said, I'm going to build my church, and he starts to build his church, what does that look like? And, and how should it look like today? If we want to be a church like the early apostles, and we want to see God do an amazing supernatural work through us and to change lives for Christ and to start gospel movements and, and disciple, um, disciple making movements, we've got to look at Acts 2. We've got to see what was the church like when Christ started it and Christ formed it. Christ made this community. And how do we want him to make us? Are we going to be a church made in our image? Or in, in our methods, or what we think a church should be, or are we going to be moldable and allow Christ, with his scarred hands, our perfect loving shepherd, to shape us how he wants? I hope that's our heart's desire. So, as we turn to Acts 2, and you're probably all there, I'm going to be the last one there here, because I've been, I've been busy setting the stage here. But remember, as we start Acts 2, what we learned last week about the book of Acts, and if you're joining or watching this recording, I'm so glad that you took the time to um, be filled up and be encouraged from the Word of God today. I hope it's a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or help you in any way, please let us know. Send us a note, an email, give us a call, or better yet, come, come visit with us in person and be our guest. We would love to have you join us for worship. Um, but as we set, as we see the stage set for Acts chapter 2, remember, Luke and Acts are a two-volume set. You remember that, right, from last week? Mm -hmm. That's not something we taking notes, okay? It's a two-volume set, and Acts is simply the story of Jesus' ministry continuing. It's not like he ascended to heaven and checked out, and now here, his disciples are just kind of doing their thing down here. No, you cannot read the book of Acts. And miss the fact that Jesus is directing all of this. His ministry is simply centered in heaven. And that's why he sends his spirit to earth. So that his ministry can continue through the church. Watch what he does. And our main point today that we need to keep in mind as we go through this passage. Is that we want to be the church 
that Jesus uh, has formed us to be. Right? Is that, is that how it's working? We need to be the church that Jesus formed us to be. So for, for the first section of Acts 2, I'm going to read through some chunks of scripture, and I will explain it briefly and continue on, and we will settle for the remainder of our time at the end of Acts chapter 2, because I believe that's where we're going to find most of the principles that, that pertain to us today. So, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, uh, to, to unpack what we've read so far, Jesus says, Wait in Jerusalem until I clothe you with power on high. And from the time he ascended to the time he sends the Spirit, um, judging by the Jewish calendar and, and judging by the timeline given in Scripture, it appears as a period of ten days. Ten days, the disciples are waiting, praying, worshiping, waiting some more, praying some more. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, in God's perfect timing, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And that's not a mistake. See, sometimes when we wait for God to act, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're praying, and we don't see the results right away, God, did you make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? I thought I heard you correctly to, to trust you and pray and follow, but, but I'm not seeing any results here. Let me give you a little bit of context for what Pentecost is all about. This is the feast where God commands the Jews and they, and they joyfully celebrate every year to remember the giving of the law to them. This is important. Now Passover is a different feast, and Passover remembers uh, Passover remembers when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought the people out. He called them by his name, and he says, I will be your God, follow me. And he paved a way through the Red Sea and delivered them from their enemies. But Pentecost is when God gave the law to his people. And he said, here is this new era where you will follow me. This is my law and how you can have a relationship with me. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. It was, it was a special celebration. So now, in the New Testament era, where Jesus has just given up his life to redeem, to redeem all of mankind who would put their faith in him, all of the chosen children of God, it's, it's, it's Pentecost <laughs> times infinite more. Because it's not just a giving of the law. Although God's law is good and perfect, we're seeing a heart transformation here. Because of Jesus and what he's done, the cross and the empty grave, it's, it's more than just the giving of the word. Here, follow this. The word now dwells in man. The body of Christ is the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We've been given his very self. His word was 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 beautiful as it was. But Jesus fulfilled the word, and now we have that closeness and community with him. He fills us with himself. And now we see tongues of fire appearing over there, 
showing that the Spirit has come. You can hear the sound of the, the mighty rushing wind as heaven invades earth, and Jesus sends power from on high. So make no mistake, Jesus is sending the Spirit. And then what does, uh, let's see, what does it say in verse 4? They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're, they're, they're uh, using the supernatural gift, and we're going to talk more about that in a second here. But it's through Jesus' permission. And as he chooses to give them utterance, they're his messengers. Jesus' ministry is continued. Verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia? I might be butchering these, half these names, but we're just going to keep rolling through, okay? Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome? In other words, <laughs> the entire known world where these Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles have come from, the, the proselytes there, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. So another reason we see Jesus Delaying the sending of the Holy Spirit in human terms, right? The ten days, is because all of the Jews seeking God, seeking to have a relationship with Him based on those Old Testament promises and the Old Testament law, have gathered together. And now the Spirit is poured out and they get to see the fulfillment of God's promises. They, they, they didn't maybe see Jesus, they didn't see the cross, they don't understand. What all happened here? They're from all over the place. Maybe they've heard about him, and maybe they've uh, they've tried to learn more about him. But clearly, from the disciples, they're hearing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and they're hearing it in their own language, which is miraculous. This is an amazing work of the Spirit. The disciples are simple Galileans, most of them humble fishermen or or, or day laborers. Uh, you know, you got a tax collector and a political zealot mixed in there too. And, and, and who are these people and why can we all hear them in so many different dialects and languages? Because Jesus was determined that every Jew would hear the gospel first. Stay in Jerusalem so that my people would hear the good news. I did not forget my people. I did not bring them out of Egypt. I did not give them the law and the covenants. And, and the temple to abandon them now, but they have to see that things have changed. It's no longer okay to uh, to simply follow the law because we have seen the glory of God in human flesh, and His death was necessary to purchase us uh, an eternal salvation. So we must respond to this, and they understand that. Look at verse thirty-seven. Now, when they heard the gospel message, they heard Peter's sermon. I'm not going to read this whole sermon. That'd be two sermons in one morning. That's just too much on you guys. I'm not going to do that to you, okay? Uh, but, verse 37, when they hear this, the good news, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How do we respond to this? 
Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I added that also in there. Probably shouldn't have. But I think it's important to emphasize that this gift is not just for the apostles or this holy moment. From here on out, every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, repents from their sins and follows him, will have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, verse 39, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, they repented, they believed, they were saved, they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I've got good news for you here this morning, that promises for you as well. You and I are those ones who are far off. We're, we're not the people who are there at Pentecost, we're not... Uh, the next generation of, of children or, or disciples, we are those people who are far off. And today, you also have heard that same good news. Jesus is offering salvation to you. And I pray that you have heard that and received it. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where we continue to receive the Word of God. If you were saved at some point in the past, and today, we are living out our salvation. We're trying to learn more about how do we live in the Spirit? And how do we live as followers of Jesus? And, and, and what does this mean, this church? And Jesus, you're forming something amazing. We're seeing all these miracles and signs. It's important to, to note that this is a landmark moment. The birth of the church. And the unbelieving Jews needed to see a sign from God that fulfilled Joel chapter 2. Where he promised to send the Spirit, and there would be prophesying, there would be miraculous signs. They also need to see that the apostles have the same authority of Jesus, that they are God-sent messengers. They're not just making it up as they go along. I don't believe that's normative for today. We have the complete Word of God. We have all of the wonders right here. The perfect, revealed Word of God. That's sufficient for everything, for life and godliness and, and salvation. So we don't park on the signs and say, Lord, show us the signs. Do miraculous wonders. We want what Jesus was after. What's he forming? What does this church look like when he forms it? And we'll find that summary just neatly summed up at the end of chapter 2. And this is where we'll park for the remainder of our time. Verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Jesus has formed his church. He's kept his promise. And we see what that church looks like 
And I pray that this morning, we want to be the church that Jesus has formed us to be. We just saw an account of a church that was functioning beautifully the way that God designed it. That should be our goal and desire, should it not? There's plenty of dysfunctional churches out there. God, help us to be a fully functioning, healthy, spirit-filled church. So here's, here's some evidence of that kind of church. Here's what we saw in the text. First of all, that early church was devoted. They devoted themselves to what matters. They understood what were the first and primary things. First of all, they were devoted to Jesus Christ. When it says devoted to the apostles' teaching, that's not like the apostles were just kind of coming up with things off the cuff. They were teaching them everything that Jesus had commanded them. Remember, they're just the messengers. It's not their spirit. It's not their power. It's not their tongues. It's not their mighty rushing wind. This is all Jesus speaking through his disciples. And so every time they speak the testimony, these gospel accounts of Jesus, lives are changed. So they're devoted to the word. We need to be devoted to the Word. Our mission statement is to fully devote ourselves to Jesus Christ and to make followers of Him. And what good does it do if we make a bunch of followers, but we ourselves are not changed by the very Word that we carry around with us? It's, it's not a, a hypocrisy thing. It's a genuine community of faith. As we live out this gospel witness, this Word that was given to us, in other words, we're carrying on the incarnate ministry of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We're the visible sign of an invisible Savior. And I'd like to pledge to you, humbly, by the grace of God, that every time we gather for worship on Sunday morning, it's always going to be all about Jesus. He is the hero. And when you leave here, even if you don't remember all the things that I talked about in the message, you will leave knowing Jesus reigns. And, and, and that is enough for me. If that is, uh, is, that is what God does with our church, to know that Jesus reigns, and we share that good news of his reign with others, um, that would be enough. I have, I've had numerous conversations with people in the community that don't think the church matters. Just yesterday, I had someone say, you know, church isn't my thing. You know, church, this isn't for me. And it breaks my heart because clearly they don't understand the relationship to Jesus because that's where the relationship of the church comes into in, in place. If I'm devoted to Jesus, if he has my heart, then I'm going to be drawn together in a compelling community of other people who also love Jesus with their whole heart. And if I encounter someone out in the community, and I, and I will today, I'm sure, someone who distances themselves from the church, church, have compassion on them because why do you love the church? Isn't it because of Jesus? So have compassion on those who were praying that God would work in their hearts, that his, that his spirit would open up their hearts. So they're devoted to the word. They're also devoted to fellowship. We love being with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we have the same spirit. The Greek word used here is koinonia. It means simply something in common. It's a big something. We certainly have something in common, and and the uh, uh, excuse me, Luke even records that they were devoted to the breaking of bread, so the fellowship around the Lord's table, just like the apostles in the upper room, and they broke bread, 
They drank the cup of the wine and, and remembered what Jesus was about to do and, and, or, or thought through what Jesus was about to do. And now today we look back and we remember that together. That's involved in that fellowship, that formal fellowship around the Lord's Supper. Also the casual fellowship. The in the home, the out of the home, the out in the community. Jesus says you will be able to tell people that you're my disciples by how you love one another. If we don't love each other, the Bible says God's love is not in us. So it's a big deal to fellowship and to love to fellowship. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Thousands upon thousands of people will gather together today at a stadium, SoFi Stadium in, in California or at homes around the world, tuning into the TV, there will be fellowship. And the thing we all have in common is we, we think the big game is a pretty cool, pretty cool happening. And it's exciting. There's there's big plays. Okay? There's something in common there. And at the stadium, people will throw on their jerseys, grown adults wearing jerseys, and uh, and, and throwing back some nachos and, and hot dogs and wearing face paint and, and high-fiving complete random strangers. That, that they would never interact with it. But they have something in common, right? It's the, it's the game. It's their, it's their team. It's the Super Bowl. Well, how much more beautiful is it when two or three or just a handful of people who have nothing much else in common, but our lives have been changed by the love and power of God and His Spirit dwells within us and we come together. It doesn't have to be a big stadium. Every Sunday afternoon at our home, is good enough for me to have that fellowship, to care for one another, to check in and say, how can we pray for you? What's going on? Do you have needs? Can we help meet those needs? We love others like Jesus loved us. We're just channels of that grace in this community that he has formed. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. It's an absolute treasure. Verse 44 says, we're together. Or the church was together, hope we're together too, and they have all things in common. We know that's not true from the human perspective. These people from all over the globe, they're speaking different, different dialects and tongues, they've got different tastes in food, and, and their family looks different, their age is different. But we can confidently say they had all things in common because what really matters, that's what they're devoted to, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're also devoted to the prayers. Jesus is calling the shots in his church, as well he should be. We are God's family, and this is his mission. So don't you think God should have a say in how we live? And how we go through today, and, and what our church looks like as we form together? God, speak to us. Your servants are listening. A healthy church today should still be on their knees. Now, the early church, they prayed day, night, on their knees, walking from place to place, in prisons, in chains, on ships in the middle of a storm, and God answered. The same God is on the throne today. So do we really believe that whatever we ask, we will receive if it's in accordance to his will? The same resurrecting spirit, the same power is within us. So whether the early church had any resources or budgets or buildings, we know that they had none of those. They have a God who controls the storehouses of heaven. And a church that stays dependent on God will receive everything they need and more. 
So let's stay dependent on God. Secondly, not only were they devoted to the things that mattered, they were dedicated to care for one another. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions, selling their belongings, and giving away the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that's just crazy to someone in the world. Crazy. I mean, when you can pull up Amazon on your phone right now, and in less than a minute, you can order just about anything you want and have it shipped to your home. That depends on depends on how much you're willing to pay. Okay, if you're willing to wait the two days, or well, there's one day delivery on, on a lot of items. Sometimes you can get the two hour delivery. You can have groceries delivered to your door. Get stuff. Why not? And the early church says, we don't have much, and I can't afford to help you out with your needs. So tell you what, let me sell the things that I have so then we can have money to meet your needs. That, that kind of thinking just doesn't exist on this earth. It only exists in the heart of God and in heaven and on those he sends his spirit on. Did you know that there is more square footage of self-storage space in the United States of America than all of the McDonald's, Taco Bells, and Starbucks combined? And just drive around here and see how many more are getting built. People love their stuff. We have neighbors with garages filled with stuff and storage spaces. They can't get enough of it. wonder if perhaps stuff is where we find our security. It's the parable of the man who tore down his storage barns to build bigger ones. And he said, self, you've done pretty good. You can relax and have ease in your life. The, the early church says, we have treasure in heaven. I don't care about this stuff. It belongs to God anyways. My home belongs to others. I'm going to open it up and, and be hospitable. My wallet, everything, of course, they didn't have wallets like we did back then. I don't think. Uh, but everything in my wallet belongs to God. And so you have a need, brother? You have a need, sister? I think it would be God's will for me to help you meet that need. We as a church give so that we can meet the needs of those we come in contact with. Like, we give sacrificially and generously because we care for people. Resources are simply the means by which God uses us as his hands and feet to help others. So I want to challenge us on that. Not because I'm after your money. Not because I'm after you to give more to the church. But to consider the generous God that we worship. And to think, if we're a church that genuinely cares for people, people can tell that, we don't have to worry about attracting people to the church. That love will compel them. Because they can see they're not in it for the stuff that they can get or for, you know, uh, prestige in the community or, or crowds upon crowds. They're in it because they care. Unselfishness is attractive. Here's the third and final thing we see from the early church. This church formed by Jesus, they displayed joy in every part of life. I love this. Verse 46 says that they had glad and generous hearts. Verse 47 says that they are praising God. Wait, I'll flip the page over here. So praising God and having favor with all the people. Where do you think they get that joy? Of course, it's from Jesus, right? 
He's the source of joy. It's his reign. This is his kingdom community. So we, we know from what scripture tells us that one day Jesus will bring the new heavens down to a newly formed and recreated earth. And his people will dwell with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, heaven is invading earth through the hearts of his people. So should this people not have joy? We should radiate the joy of the treasure that we have found. There's nothing else that we're looking for. And yes, the hardships come. And getting to know some of you and your story, uh, whether this year or previous years, you've suffered loss, death, in your family or friends, disappointments. And then there's the daily stress and anxieties. But when you found the treasure of all treasures and you found the rock on which your faith is built, on which our church is built, we still have joy that remains. And I think this is probably what breaks my heart most for the American church, for the consumer Christianity, for the casual non-commitment. I'll show up when I feel like it and, um, and, and kind of do uh, the Christian life a la carte. Because we're, the, while those people may be believers, their love, their love for Christ and his churches has grown cold, but, but, but they may be believers they don't have joy. The joy that was intended. And, and we spend hours and hours consuming media, scrolling on our phones, watching movies and TV, and then we quick, quick find a verse for 30 seconds and put it on social media, and we wonder why we're not content, and why we're struggling with joy, and, and, and why we're missing out on the power of God. Well, that's why. Because Jesus didn't come to give part of himself to us. He came to give us the abundant life, the fullness of his joy. Christ fills all in all. So is he filling us? Are we allowing him to have access to every part of our life so we can have joy in every part of our life? The early church understood that. They had a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. So ask yourself today, do I have the kind of joy that we're seeing here? Joy over the simple things like the meal that we get to eat today. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. We're here today worshiping in church. While other people are out partying or preparing for the party tonight or doing their own thing, thank you, God. You're so good. I, I could be any one of those people, but you chose to show your goodness to me. So blessed. And we're so blessed to have the church in front of us that God's given to us. So some closing questions, then I'll be done. Do we value the church the way that Jesus does? This is plan A. This is how the gospel advances the kingdom through changing the hearts and lives of people. And God bringing those people together as disciples. And then we go out and we multiply and we do the same. Can I say that I'm fully devoted to Jesus? If I did a joy check over the last week, how much time did I spend 
giving thanks to God and, and in prayer and in joy. And how much time did I spend stressing and worrying and checking those emails and checking those messages and buying that next thing? Because I think, you know, now we'll be okay now that I have that next thing. Where do I spend my time? And if you're seeing what I'm seeing in Acts chapter 2, this is what a healthy church looks like then let's be pursuing that together today as individuals and together as a fellowship of believers. We're here to serve you. If we can pray for you, if we can share some encouragement with you from the Word, if we can hear any questions that you have afterwards, um, during the, the, the closing songs, if you need to talk to a pastor, Pastor Dennis is, is available. I'll be leading the singing, and I, I'd be happy to speak to you afterwards. Um, if there's a way that our church can help you, can encourage you or can bring you further into this community that God's given us in our small group gatherings or even the Super Bowl gatherings tonight, we would love to speak with you because we understand from Acts chapter 2 that Jesus is forming a community so we want to be the community that Jesus has formed us to be let's pray and we'll sing Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day I thank you for the special privilege to bring your word I am the least deserving person to open this word, God, and yet you have called me to stand. So like the Apostle Paul, that I say I'm the chief of sinners, I, 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 my identity is no longer that. You changed me, and I'm a saint. I'm a citizen of heaven, and I'm a member of the family of God, and it is my privilege to talk to you now, living God, who's the hope for the nations. And I pray that your praise inhabits us even this morning. That you would speak through us, to us, change us, mold us. And Lord, as we wrestle with these texts and we wrestle with parts of our life that are not fully conforming to the image of Christ, please, God, work in us, soften us, and show us the joy that comes from treasuring Jesus in all things and treasuring his church. It's in Christ's name we pray.